payment of the debt by Lady Linlithgow, who for a countess was as poor as Job, Mr. Benjamin, she was quite sure, did not expect anything of the kind. But then Lizzie paused, and Mr. Benjamin, with the sweetest and wittiest of smiles, suggested that perhaps Miss Greystock was going to be married. Lizzie, with a pretty maiden blush, admitted that such a catastrophe was probable. She had been asked in marriage by Sir Florian Eustace. Now Mr. Benjamin knew, as all the world knew, that Sir Florian Eustace was a very rich man indeed, a man in no degree embarrassed, and who could pay any amount of jeweler's bills for which claim might be made upon him. Well, what did Miss Greystock want? Mr. Benjamin did not suppose that Miss Greystock was actuated simply by a desire to have her old bills paid by her future husband. Miss Greystock wanted a loan sufficient to take the jewels out of pawn. She would then make herself responsible for the full amount, due. Mr. Benjamin said that he would make a few inquiries. But you won't betray me, said Lizzie, for the match might be off. Mr. Benjamin promised to be more than cautious. There was not so much a falsehood as might have been expected in the statement which Lizzie Greystock made to the jeweler. It was not true that she was of age, and therefore no future husband would be legally liable for any debt which she might then contract and it was not true that Sir Florian Eustace had asked her in marriage. Those two little blemishes in her statement must be admitted, but it was true that Sir Florian was at her feet, and that by a proper use of her various charms, the pawn jewels included, she might bring him to an offer. Mr. Benjamin made his inquiries and acceded to the proposal. He did not tell Miss Greystock that she had lied to him in that matter of her age, though he had discovered the lie. Sir Florian would no doubt pay the bill for his wife without any arguments as to the legality of the claim. From such information as Mr. Benjamin could acquire, he thought that there would be a marriage, and that the speculation was on the whole in his favor. Lizzie recovered her jewels, and Mr. Benjamin was in possession of a promissory note purporting to have been executed by a person who was no longer a minor. The jeweler was ultimately successful in his views, and so was the lady. Lady Linlithgow saw the jewels come back one by one, ring added to ring on the little taper fingers, the rubies for the neck and the pendant yellow earrings. Though Lizzie was in mourning for her father, still these things were allowed to be visible. The Countess was not the woman to see them without inquiry, and she inquired vigorously. She threatened, stormed, and protested. She attempted even a raid upon the young lady's jewel box, but she was not successful. Lizzie snapped and snarled and held her own, for at that time the match with Sir Florian was near its accomplishment, and the Countess understood too well the value of such a disposition of her niece to risk it at the moment by any open rupture. The little house in Brook Street, for the house was very small and very comfortless, a house that had been squeezed in, as it were, between two others without any fitting space for it, did not contain a happy family. One bedroom, and that the biggest, was appropriated to the Earl of Linlithgow, the son of the Countess, a young man who passed perhaps five nights in town during the year. Other inmate there was none besides the aunt and the niece and the four servants, of whom one was Lizzie's own maid. Why should such a Countess have troubled herself with the custody of such a niece? Simply because the Countess regarded it as a duty. Lady Linlithgow was worldly, stingy, ill-tempered, selfish, and mean— Lady Linlithgow would cheat a butcher out of a mutton shop or a cook out of a month's wages, if she could do so with some slant of legal wind in her favor. She would tell any number of lies to carry a point in what she believed to be social success. 
It was said of her that she cheated at cards. In backbiting, no venomous old woman between Bond Street and Park Lane could beat her. Or, more wonderful still, no venomous old man at the clubs. But nevertheless she recognized certain duties, and performed them, though she hated them. She went to church, not merely that people might see her there, as to which in truth she cared nothing, but because she thought it was right. And she took in Lizzie Greystock, whom she hated almost as much as she did sermons, because the admiral's wife had been her sister, and she recognized a duty. But having thus bound herself to Lizzie, who was a beauty, of course it became the first object of her life to get rid of Lizzie by a marriage. And though she would have liked to think that Lizzie would be tormented all her days, though she thoroughly believed that Lizzie deserved to be tormented, she set her heart upon a splendid match. She would, at any rate, be able to throw it daily in her niece's teeth that the splendor was of her doing. Now, a marriage with Sir Francis.